Well, good morning. In um, the late 80s, there was a movie that came out uh, called The Serpent and the Rainbow. And I, and I hadn't seen it. Um, and then uh, in the 2000s, I, I, was, I was working at a car dealership. And uh, one of the guys I was working with said, asked me if I had ever seen this movie called The Serpent and the Rainbow. And I said, no, I've never even heard of it. He said, well, it's, it's kind of a horror movie. And I said, well, I don't really care for that kind of thing. But um, he said, you might like this one. So he lent it to me. And I watched it. And it was about um, this man, Bill Paxson is the, uh, the uh, actor. And he, he goes to this, uh, this town. I forget where it is. But it's, he's visiting this tribe, basically. And what's happening is they find that people are dying very young. And they can't figure out why it's happening. And uh, he discovers that somebody is giving these people a drug that makes them appear to be dead. Makes them have all the signs of being dead. They, they, their, their heart rate, I suppose, slows to the point where they, the doctors can't detect it. They're, they're, they're breathing the same. Um, so they end up burying these people. And after some time... They find out that these people were still alive, and they come back to life, and they pull the coffins out, and they see scratch marks. And um, now that that kind of story has been told for years, uh, campfire stories, it's just legends that have been told about people being buried alive. And um, from those stories, uh, we hear things like um, we. we when people were buried alive, they, they were worried that, that the, the, these people were, would be coming back to life. So what they would do is they would tie a string to their wrist, and it would run out through the coffin into a bell that would hang above their, their tombstone. So if they were to come back to life, that they would be able to ring that bell. Um, and that, that brought us a, uh, a term called saved by the bell, or also dead ringer. Um, and then they would hire somebody, they would say, to, to, to um, be in the graveyard, just listening for the bell, which to me would make for an awful night if it was windy out. But they would just sit there and listen for a bell to ring. And if, if a bell rung, they would, their job was to call somebody and they, they'd dig up that coffin and get the person out, um, which supposedly is where we get the term graveyard shift. Um, I tell you all that because uh, on Friday, it marked the fifth anniversary of um, my salvation. I was saved five years ago uh, this past Friday. And I think if you would have known me six years ago, or even 20 years ago, Many Christians would have seen me as dead, someone that was uh, far gone, somebody that uh, they could have buried and been okay with it, that, that there was no life left in me. And we ended up at a church in Memphis, Tennessee, and um, along with Kate, there were people that heard my bell. They recognized that I was not dead, 
and they invested time in me. Um, they showed me uh, God's love in them. Um, they, 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 they rescued me from what was a shallow grave that I was still um, breathing in. And uh, I just, I'm so grateful that they recognized that um, uh, I could be saved. Uh, and I just say that to say, you, you know, if we have people in our lives that we look at and we say they're, they're so far gone, um, could be drug addicts that you're not even sure you'll see them next week because they, they're just so close to the edge. Um, we shouldn't give up on anybody. Never give up on somebody that is showing the signs of death because it's not over until they take their last breath. Uh, as long as they're breathing, there's... Um, there's a chance to be saved. So, uh, granted, that's a choice that they have to make, but we need to show them God's love in our lives and, and, and um, show them that, that there's another way of living. And uh, so I, I just wanted to share that with you. I'm, I'm, a lot has changed in the last five years um, for me and, and obviously my family. But uh, let, 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 we'll move on. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 12 today. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. This is uh, Jesus' entrance into uh, Jerusalem. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the story. And uh, when you find John chapter 12, if you'll make your way down to verse 12 and stand... For the reading of God's word, we will be reading from verse 12 to verse 19. John chapter 12, starting in verse 9. The word of God says, Now a great many of the Jews... I'm sorry, that was verse 9. I'll I'll hit verse 9 a little bit, but uh, we're going to go with verse 12. And the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16. His disciples, then, uh, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for today. Lord, we just pray that you will feel your spirit amongst us today in your house. Lord, uh, we come here to to honor and and worship you and just praise your name. Lord, I just pray that you will be with us and and, and show us what you would like us to learn, Lord. Uh, Impress on our hearts something that we can take with us throughout the week and share with others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So um, this is the beginning of the last week in Jesus' life. Now, John, you'll notice, we're, uh, he begins the last week of the life of Jesus in chapter 12. Uh, and his, uh, his uh, gospel is 21 chapters long. So almost half of the gospel of John is devoted to just the final week of Jesus' life. That's how important John felt it was uh, to document this last week of Jesus' life. Now, if you turn back a chapter, Jesus had just come off of what was one of his most notorious, most um, well-known miracles, which would be raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, this was amazing to us and amazing to others around, but the Jewish people especially would have known that after four days in the Jewish culture, they believed that the spirit would leave the body. Okay? So they knew Lazarus had been dead for four days, which means to them the spirit has left, which makes it all the more impressive, all the more wondrous that Jesus was able to raise Lazarus from the dead. If he did it after a day or two, you say, well, he still had the spirit. Four days, the spirit has left Lazarus' body, and he's still raised from the dead. Now, this happened in a small town of Bethany, okay? And you know, living near Pineville, that small town, news travels fast. So everybody in town would have heard about what Jesus had done with Lazarus. Now, he's about to enter Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem is only a couple miles from Bethany. So the... What we see here is that the people showed up to see not only Jesus, but we're going to find that they also came to see Lazarus. Okay? Uh, this was a big deal. People had heard about it. People wanted to see what this man Jesus was all about. Um, in fact, the chief priests knew about it, and they were so upset about it because the Jewish people, so many people had heard about Lazarus, uh, raising from the dead, that they left to follow Jesus. Now, this really upset the, the Jewish leaders at the time. They, they didn't want this happening. So they actually planned not only to kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus. Lazarus was proof that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And they wanted to get rid of any evidence, any proof that said that Jesus was the Son of God. Which just goes to show you, if people, people that don't believe in Jesus don't want to believe in Jesus, right? You can have all the signs you want, but if somebody has their mind set on, I'm not going to follow Jesus, he is, I'm not going to make him Lord and Savior of my life, they don't. They have to make that decision not to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter the signs that they're shown. And that's what we see in these Pharisees and chief priests. They had all the signs. They saw who he was, but they chose not to believe. So when Jesus arrives, he arrives on a donkey. Um, the day that it was that he arrives, I, the, the, there are many people that believe that the day that he arrived was actually prophesied. That that 
Uh, we find out if you combine Daniel chapter 9 with Nehemiah chapter 1, that you're able to figure out the date that he actually arrived in Jerusalem. Um, Kate will uh, tell you I spent a whole lot of time trying to understand how they came about this mathematic equation to figure out when uh, he got there. And it didn't matter how many people I listened to, how many uh, things I read, how many uh, diagrams I looked at. I had a very hard time understanding how they figured it out. But I'm going to tell you what I, I did understand. And if you know more and want to uh, uh, explore it, uh, I, I encourage you to do so and then you can teach it to me. But um, the gist of it is Daniel um, had a bunch of confusing numbers, seven this and seven sevens and, and, and whatnot. And uh, it basically come, broke down to there were 69 groups of seven years. And when you multiply 69 times seven, you get 483 years. Um, and that would equal 173,880 days. Well, what's significant about that? The only thing that would be significant about that is if we had a starting point to count from. Well, we do. He said that it was that many days from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And if we go to Nehemiah, which Nehemiah was the one that uh, King Artaxerxes uh, gave the decree to to go build uh, the wall. We know that, that was on uh, Nisan. Just they just said Nisan, and when they don't give a day, when they don't say the the sixth day of Nisan, it means the first day of that month. Nisan was a month. Uh, so if you count, if you got nothing better to do uh, for a week, and you want to do it for yourself, you can find a calendar and count. From that day, 173,880 days, and you'll end up on April 6th, 32 AD. And they believe this might be the day uh, that Jesus came into town, because on that specific day was, would have been Passover. Uh, when we look at the calendar, it would have been Passover, which is t what today what we call, as Christians, Palm Sunday. So, anyway, if you want to research that and tell me more about it, I would appreciate it. Uh, when he arrives, uh, the people begin waving palm branches. He, you have to picture him riding in on this donkey and, and people just waving these palm branches at him. Now, the palm branches were significant because this is something they would have done for military leaders that are coming back from a victorious battle. Okay, so what they're doing is they're already recognizing that Jesus is here to, for, for a, a, um, a military battle, that he is here to overthrow the Roman government, and, and we're praising him. We're, we're, we're bringing out the, um, the, the palm branches early because we know what he's about to do. Um, and the, the people were also shouting the words of Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. If you look at Psalm 118, you'll find that nowhere in the psalm does it say Hosanna. Hosanna is not another name for Jesus. 
I, I know when I, I first was in church, I, we would sing that song about Hosanna, and it just made sense to me that that was Jesus. I thought, oh, Hosanna must be another name for Jesus. Well, it's not. Hosanna is a plea. It means save us. They're crying out to Jesus to save us. So they're waving these palm branches because they believe that he's going to overthrow the Roman government. They're, they're, they're shouting, save us. This is what they're expecting him to do. Now, if you can picture this, Jerusalem at this time has swelled. It, it, it is just overcrowded. There are an estimated over 2 million people in Jerusalem at this time to give thanks to God. Now, you've got to remember that a lot of these people are there for religious reasons. They're, they're there because they're supposed to be there. This is the Passover. This is where they all come. But you also have more people than usual showing up because they want to see Jesus and Lazarus. These people want to see Jesus because they've heard about him, right? They've heard about him turning water into wine. They've heard about him walking on water. They've heard about him giving sight to the blind and cleansing lepers. And most recently, they had heard about him raising the dead. So Jesus was somebody that they really wanted to see. But oh, how quickly people's minds can be changed. On Sunday, there were over 2 million people crammed in Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets to welcome Jesus into town. They were waving palm branches, claiming victory already over the Roman government, and hollering, save us. And Friday, just five days later, this crowd would be shouting, crucify him. They go from him being the Savior, the one that they've been waiting for, to we want him dead in just five days. And I think we can be a lot like this crowd. Some days we can be high on God. We, we, we can want to shout his name from the rooftops. We want to tell people all about him and the things that he has done in our lives. And the next week we're wondering if he's even paying attention at all. We can be fickle people too. We're all human. And this, I don't think we should be looking down on this crowd. Because if we, were, if we were there, we would have been part of this crowd. We would have been excited for him coming one day and the next day, uh, realizing what we wanted wasn't about to happen, so we're turning our backs on him. And I think one of the lessons we can learn from this is that you will always be frustrated if the only thing you want from God is to do the things that you want him to do. You're going to be frustrated with God if, if he doesn't give you what you want, then I don't want to have anything to do with him. If that's the only thing you want God for, is to give you what you want, you're going to end up being frustrated with him. We need to remember who these people were. Like I said, they were there for religious reasons. Religious reasons. This is the Passover, and this is basically what they were supposed to do. These people didn't know Jesus. They hadn't heard him preach. They didn't have a walk with him. They just heard about him. They were there because they heard about him. 
Now, some were there because they wanted to see him. But as I said before, some of them were there because this is what the Jewish tradition was. This is what religion was. This is where they were supposed to be for the Passover, to honor God. They would show up for this. Now, there were more people because of Jesus, but the primary reason that people would show up for a Passover, or the feast that they called it, was for religious or tradition. Tradition told them that they should be there. These are the, the type of people that, that um, just show up to church because that's what you're supposed to do, right? I think uh, Eugene, uh, Kate's dad, calls them CEOs, Christmas and Easter onlys. They just feel like this is the day that they're supposed to show up, so I'm, I'm going to come. Um, it's not because they have a walk with God. Um, these are the people that don't have a daily walk. And, and, and that's a frustrating place to be. When, when you just show up to church because that's what you feel like you're supposed to do, but you don't have uh, walks and talks with God throughout the week. When people have a daily walk with God, uh, they're not just showing up to church. They're doing it because um, they love him, and that's what they want to do. They, they want to show God their love. So why is it frustrating to somebody that just shows up and doesn't know God? It's because they learn enough to know that God is capable capable of doing anything. But they don't have enough faith to allow him to do what he wants to do. See the difference? Like they, we can, they hear about God. They know what God has done. And they know what they want God to do in their lives. But they don't have enough faith in God to allow God to do what he wants to do. Okay? When it comes to his will, that's not what I want. It's my will. I know God can do it. So I want God to do what I want. I don't want what he wants. There's a difference. Remember, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they were shouting Psalm 118, because they wanted military victory. Jesus was about to give them spiritual victory. From what they knew of him, he was capable of overthrowing the Roman government. He was able to perform miracles. He was able to do this if he wanted to. But because their faith was not rooted in him, they turned on him when he didn't give them what they wanted. What he gave them was what was according to God's plan. They didn't understand this. As Christians, we need to have a daily walk with God. We need to understand when God doesn't do what we want him to do, it does not mean that he doesn't love us. We need to have enough faith in him to allow him to do what he knows is best for us. The second thing. If you think there should be a... Sometimes we think there should be a connection between our worship and what God is doing for us. Remember, these people had heard about the, the raising of Lazarus. They wanted to see a miracle. That, that's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to see a show. They wanted to see him walk on some water. They wanted to see him turn water into wine. They wanted him to see him raise more people from the dead. But Jesus... Jesus performed so many miracles that at the end of the book of John, 
he actually says, he did so many things that I couldn't write them all down. They wouldn't fit in a book. He did so many miracles, so many things, we couldn't write them down. You know how many miracles Jesus performed on the last week of his life? None. Not a one. He had two, over two million people there to witness him. That he could have performed miracles to and shown that he was the son of God. But he chose not to do that. Because that's what they wanted to see. That's what They wanted to see the show. They didn't want to know him. They wanted to know what he could do for them. The people are cheering him, waving palm branches. They've lined the streets. Jesus is telling them that you cannot solicit a miracle with praise. We have preachers today that make a very good living off of preaching the opposite, right? They'll tell you, uh, if you want more money, you got to give more money, right? Uh, you want God to bless you, you need to tithe more. You want to be made well, you need to put more time in at church. They, they, they make a living off of telling people that the more you give, the more you're going to get back. And it's sad because you'll have people that maybe they have a, a, a $200 electric bill. And they'll say, well, I only have $50 to my name. But if I give it all at church, then God's going to give me $200 so I can go pay my bill. Well, that's not the way it works. You can't solicit a miracle from God without a pure heart. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it's, it's, it's not what he wants. God wants a cheerful giver. He wants someone that's going to be giving with that sincere heart, not because they want something in return. You cannot manipulate God into doing something for you through insincere praise. And that's exactly what these people were doing. Number three, religion is about the outward display. Okay, religion is about the outward display. We kind of talked about this, how we just do it because that's what we feel like we're supposed to do. Jesus is concerned with the inward. He cares about the inward, um, our, our hearts. Jesus doesn't want religion. He doesn't want you to do things because you feel obligated to do them. He doesn't want you to do things because you want to get something back from him. These are the kinds of things that um, the chief priests were preaching at the time. It, it was a very ritualistic and tradition-based religion that they were, they were teaching. And we've, we've gone over this before, that, that many of the laws that they were making were made by the Pharisees. Right? They, they, they were making things up as they went along uh, to prove how righteous they were. Right? They, 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 they were making these things up as they went along. So, but that's not what Jesus came for. You see why these religious leaders wanted him dead? They, they were more worried about their following. The, the religious leaders didn't want to lose their following. Uh, we see that uh, it tells us that the Jewish people started following Jesus once they heard of the, the raising of Lazarus. Well, that's not what the Jewish leaders wanted. They were losing their crowd. You know, I said it before, the reason people don't believe in Jesus 
is because they don't want to. They knew who he was. Religious leaders knew who he was. They knew about the miracles. They were educated and would have known about the Old Testament prophecies that, that, that he was uh, performing or fulfilling. But he interfered with the way they wanted things done. So they wanted to kill him. We can see that in church today. People get hung up on tradition, right? Uh, they don't like, uh, they, they don't look to the Bible for answers. They look to the past, right? They'll say things like, well, that's not the way we used to do it, right? Well, is that way they used to do it biblical? Is the way that you do it now unbiblical? They, they, they worry about tradition more than they do about the actual word of God. That's not, what that is, is um, it's religion, it's not relationship. So, that was my third point. But if, if you look at the this, this, this scripture, everybody um, was confused. Even verse 16 tells us uh, that, that the disciples, the disciples didn't have any idea what was going on. The disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things uh, were written about him and that they had done these things. Jesus had them there to witness his crucifixion, right? They, they, they thought they were going in just like, when you had the people lying in the streets, they, they were following Jesus in thinking, okay, this, this is going to be great. Look at all these people cheering us on. They had no idea that Jesus was going in there to be crucified. This was very confusing to them. Um, they had been following Jesus around, and now he's, that he's being crucified, they're thinking, what is going on? We don't understand. And what it says here, uh, they didn't understand what was going on at first, but when Jesus was glorified, that means his resurrection. They didn't understand what was happening until he was resurrected. You've got to remember, these people were following him around. They, they, they believed in Jesus. They were preaching his name, and now he was dead. And they didn't know what to think, right? They, they were like, well, this is so confusing. Now everybody wants to kill us. So now they're, 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 um, they're, they're held up in, in an upper room, just sitting there thinking, what are we going to do? What have we spent the last few years doing? Following this man around, now he's dead, and people want to kill us. What is going on? They didn't understand until he was resurrected. And sometimes God has to lead you through those difficult times in life. That was a difficult time in their lives. That was a storm that they were going through after Jesus had passed away, or that Jesus was crucified. But we need to remember that God leads us through these storms so that we can see him on the other side. He's got to lead us through these storms so that he can be glorified when we get through them. And that's what he's showing them here. Everybody was very confused at this time. The only person that knew what was going on was Jesus. Now, I think if everything is always great, if you never face any opposition or sadness or, or, or defeat, you'll never appreciate the goodness and, and, and his love uh, when you make it through and realize he's been with you the whole time. Um, it's amazing, you know, it, it, when you just look at these five or six verses that people had no idea. 
Jesus was the only one. In fact, if you, if you, if you look at this, the, the parallel account in um, Luke, Luke uh, chapter 19, uh, let me see, verse 41, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Jesus wept over the city because he saw what was about to happen. He knew that they all had the wrong idea, and he was weeping because he knew that they were about to be disappointed in him. Um, it's so hard, you know, so we, we, we just, sometimes we just don't understand God in our lives. We don't understand his will. We don't understand what his plans are. But we need to just recognize that what he is doing is part of his plan, is part of his will, and it's what's best for us in our lives. So uh, that, that's what we need to take away from this, is we just need to learn to trust him um, and know that what he did here was the greatest thing that could have happened to any of us. And the saddest thing that, 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 that could have happened to his disciples at the time. I mean, they were just, this man that they loved, that they thought was going to um, be king. You know, it had to be so confusing for them. But, like I said, learn to trust in him. Remember that even when things are going badly, uh, that you're going through a storm, remember that he's going to find you on the other side. And just because you don't see him in that storm doesn't mean he's not there. He is. Just like when they were, when they were in the storm on the sea, he was walking beside them. God's walking beside you no matter your storm. It could be that the rain is so heavy that you just don't see him. But once the sun comes out, you'll recognize that he was there the whole time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for, um, thank you for bringing us back together. Lord, it, it, it's such a blessing for us to be able to worship you freely. Um, there's so many people that aren't able to do that. Lord, I just pray that you will um, be with us as we go our separate ways today. We, we just ask that you would keep us safe and happy and healthy. Um, allow us to uh, feel your love and allow us to give that love to others. Um, allow us to be that light that, that, that um, leads others out of the darkness um, into your feet. Lord, we love you um, and we just pray that you will watch over us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.